Hi friends, this is Callie Cowan, and you are listening to the Doing Good Well podcast. This is a podcast all about dreamers, idealists, and visionaries who are changing the world for the better. Their stories will encourage and inspire you to do good and do it well. I'm so excited to have my friend Jennifer Spear on as a guest today. Jennifer Spear is an accomplished author and speaker and also the executive director of an organization called Word of Joy. And I'm so excited for her to come on and tell her story to all of you, what God has done through her life and what he is doing through this ministry. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thanks, Callie. It's good to be here. You, If you could have seen my face while she's giving those uh, accolades, it, it's jarring. But I appreciate it. But it's all true. Well, thanks. Own it. Own it. You are all those things. An accomplished author, speaker, and you are an executive director. Well, thank you. That's amazing. So tell us about Word of Joy. If you were to describe Word of Joy to someone who's never heard of it, how would you describe it? Word of Joy is a Bible teaching ministry, primarily for women. And our goal is to equip women and to encourage them just simply through God's Word. Okay, so what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? I mean, you guys don't have like a storefront or an office or no, or do you? But when, here in Venice, Florida, um, in the winter months, January, February, March, we have a influx of population here, and so I was teaching a Bible study through my local church, and um, and then that began to grow and expand, and now we have about 500 women that attend a Bible study with me, and usually I teach the same thing in, in three different locations. And then um, there are other things that I've written two books, and one of those has been translated into Spanish. I travel extensively to uh, Cuba, and I'll be in Nicaragua and Guatemala this year, and I do women's ministry in all of those places. And, and Word of Joy allows me to go and, and, um, and sometimes do things that are beyond Bible teaching. We, take in, we have taken in water filtration systems into Cuba and, and do things for women in Cuba the, beyond just Bible teaching. And I do the same thing here at home in, in Florida. When there's a need among women, uh, we try to meet that need, whether it's clothes or food or just some time with different women. Um, but it, it, it really is a ministry to women, and the foundation of it is, is Bible teaching. I love that. How'd you come up with the name Word of Joy? Oh, you know, I've, I've used that term for actually decades. And, um, and back probably in the 90s, I was um, teaching and, and speaking here and there. And, and Word of Joy just kind of became a catchphrase for what I was doing. And, and then later, when it was organized into a not-for-profit, that name just stuck. And, and I really do feel like God's Word is a word of joy, and, and I want this ministry to be a word of joy that encourages people. So you started kind of as a Bible study teacher, right, in your local church? Is that how this kind of started right. for you? Right. After I graduated from seminary, I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth and met my first husband, my late husband, Dana, there. And um, we married and moved to Pasadena, Texas, and he was the student minister at First Baptist Church, Pasadena, Texas, in the mid-'80s. And w- when we got there, I had this seminary degree, and, and I really at one time had thought I would be uh, a missionary somewhere, but Dana really didn't feel called to missions, and he was really called a student ministry. And so I found my place within that ministry teaching women. 
Um, I had a great uh, Bible study teacher on Sunday mornings named Becky Kyle, and, and she was really the first woman I had ever sat under her teaching that was just inspirational to me. And in many ways, she just ignited a fire in me to teach, and I began to teach small discipleship groups of women. We went through Master Life, and, and it was all small group type of uh, teaching. I had a friend of mine that was in my Bible study class on Sunday morning, and she moved away to Arkansas, and her husband was a worship leader in Arkansas. And she called me one day, and she said, Hey, Jennifer, we're going to do a women's conference for the first time ever, and we want you to come and do the music, because I was a singer, too, at the time. And I said, Well, good. Can Dana, can my husband come with you? Yeah, yeah, bring Dana. So Dana and I were going to go do the music at this women's conference. And then she called back a few days later. She said, Hey, Jennifer, we want you to be the speaker, too. I said, mm, Okay. I, I, I think we can swing this and so it was a really small conference and and I did the music and I did the speaking and then the next year same place call me back Jennifer we, we want you to come and do our women's conference again and I said well whoa I said you're gonna have to pick I said either I can sing or I can teach but I cannot do both and she said we want you to teach wow so I came back for that second year that second conference and that was 1999 and instead of just 30 or 40 women there, there were 300 women there. And so many of them were pastor's wives in different churches from northwest Arkansas. And, and that's really where God launched Word of Joy. And from that time, you know, invitations to speak came and opportunities for ministry came. And it really wasn't something I aspired to. I, I've told you so many times, Callie, you know, young girls will come up to me and say, oh, I want to do what you do. And I just say, no, you, you don't want to do what I do. <laughs> and because God takes you through so much fire to be able to stand in front of people and, and to speak and to teach his word. And, and it's such a huge responsibility. But it started then, and, and then it has just progressed through the years into what it is today. I love a couple of the things that you said there. One, that you didn't aspire to this. I think that there's a lot in ministry right now that people you know, aspire to be those authors, those bloggers, those speakers. And yet what I see in your story, and in a lot of stories that I've heard, is that it really starts with small um small movements of, of obedience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's showing up and teaching that small class. I remember actually when I met you is when you had just moved to Venice. Mm -hmm. And so you'd had this great following of people, other places that were coming to your Bible studies. But when you were to Venice, people here didn't know you. And mm -hmm. I was in one of those early classes where we actually sat around a table you know, and you taught and it's grown, obviously, as people in the area have come to know who you are to now 500 women. That's incredible, by the way. But you were obedient in the small things. And I think that is a message that we need to remember that you didn't start where you are right. today. So what would you tell someone who's maybe in those days of the small beginnings, hmm. you know, to how to just keep doing the next right thing? in front of them? How, how did you kind of build that endurance and perseverance over the years? Well, I think in our culture, we are so marketing prone. Um, even today, you know, people say, oh, you have to have your website up to date. Oh, you have to have a podcast or Instagram. You got to keep in touch with, you know, your, you know who your demographics are. And there's this presenting of yourself. And yet, in the, in the core of my being, I believe that ministry is received it's not achieved and we can do all the right things that our culture tells us we're supposed to do we can market we can write we can we can do whatever we think will take us to that next level of whatever it is we're looking for and yet true ministry is is a gift that god gives us and we receive it and we we prepare we study we we're we're obedient 
to do what God's called us to do. And then God broadens that ministry. We, we, we are responsible for going deeper with God, and then God is responsible for taking it where he wants it to go. And, and it's so easy. And sometimes here I am at my age, I, I look at other people's ministries, and the inclination is to start comparing well, why, why does she get to do that? Or why did her book sell more? Why does she have a bigger audience? And, and God is so uniquely gifted each one of us that our ministries are unique. Our audience is unique. Our purpose is unique. Well, our purpose is all to glorify God, but just the direction of each of those ministries is so unique. And, and, and then I have to really take a step back and say, anytime God allows me to open my mouth and teach his word is a gift of grace i i i just feel like i trump the apostle paul in saying i am the least i am i there is no logical reason why god would let me do this um the failure in my life the inadequacies in my life just why would he even let me be a mouthpiece of his word and i i am always i always have to come back to this place of humility and say Thank you, God. If, if, it is, if it is 12 of us sitting around the table or a 1,000 of us in a big room, just thank you, God, for any opportunity to serve you. And I think that's such an important reminder because our culture tends to be obsessed with the numbers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How many followers do you have? How yeah. many people came to this thing? And yet there's so much power even in the individual. You know, you mentioned, is it Becky Kyle? Mm -hmm. Is that her name? Mm -hmm. And because of her influence in your life, right. you know, she spoke to the one. She spoke to the Jennifer, was it Matthewson at that point? Mm -hmm. yeah. And she spoke to you. And now what you were able to be inspired by her and then her influence in your life has allowed you now and propelled you to influence so many others. And I'm one of those that you were the first woman that I sat directly under as a Bible teacher that you made me believe that I could do that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm able to do that. You know, I'm starting kind of into that world because I saw what you were doing and said, okay, Lord, could you use me in that way too? And so I think sometimes we have to dial back from what the world would see as mm -hmm. successful and look at the still there's the unique you know aspect of each individual one i mean jesus had 12 right you know that that's not a bad number <laughs> to be working with and yet in our culture we can get so distracted yeah. by the numbers that we forget the the impact and the quality over the quantity I think something else that we've talked about before is that idea of people saying they want to do what you do and you say, oh, no, you don't, because you've walked through some things. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to try to hurry God along mm. and try to maybe jump into things before we're really ready for them. But I think what um, you would probably tell people is that your life story has prepared you for the things that you're doing oh, now. Exactly. What would, how would you speak to that for people that are maybe in a season where it doesn't feel like much is happening hmm. in their life, but what maybe you'll look back and say, those were seasons that were preparing you for something that maybe you didn't even see coming yet. Or even the opposite of that. You're in a season where so many things good are happening and you think, wow, I am on this road to someplace good. And that sort of was my story in that 1999 experience where all these people were at this conference and so many of them were churches and I began to get invitations to go and to speak and to travel and and I thought wow this is where God is taking me and I am on the upward you know path here to whatever that is going to look like I'm going to you know you know have a bigger audience I'm going to speak more I'm going to try and then 2005 came 
So I had six years of this growing, 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 and me thinking I knew where this was headed. And then 2005 came, and Dana, my husband, was the pastor. Um, we, we had two children at the time. Our, our boys were 15 and 10, and um, he was on his way to church on a Monday afternoon at 4.30, and another driver fell asleep and hit him head on, and he lived for nine hours, and then he died, and I was left a widow with two boys and I was so lost I, I didn't know how I was going to do this I didn't know where my life was going I didn't know what why God would allow this tragedy into our lives I didn't know how to raise boys by myself and life was just such a confusing time and I kept all my speaking engagements and I, I really believe I've, I say this often that my audience became my therapy group um, they let me talk <laughs> about my loss and I tried to always frame it within the word of God and and, and then I met uh, a widower, a pastor, who had tragically lost his wife of 24 years, and um, they had three children, and we met through a, a, a mutual acquaintance, and, and we met in Nashville, Tennessee for lunch one day. We'd been friends over the phone for a few weeks. We met for lunch, and a year later, we got married. 2006, I moved my boys from uh, East Tennessee to Southern Illinois, and now we were not a family of the three of us but we were a family of seven five of those children traumatized by the sudden loss of a parent and Alan is my husband now and we are great testimonies of what not to do um, <laughs> we we really didn't do everything right we didn't go into this with our eyes wide open and in so many ways we we did things wrong we really messed up our children in some ways and God has just been so gracious and the trajectory of my life altered during this time. When I met Alan, one of the first things he asked me is, are you interested in missions? Have you ever had an interest in missions? And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I thought that when I went to seminary, that's where I would end up. And, and, uh, and he began to tell me about his um, work in Cuba. And he'd been going to Cuba since 1996, and things had changed a lot since then. And uh, the church was stronger. The church was not the underground church necessarily anymore. But uh, he asked me if I would go with him. And so after we married in 2008, I had took my first trip into Cuba and just loved the women there. I taught in one of the seminaries in Havana with some friends of ours that is the head of that seminary. And um, I, I taught Old Testament survey and just fell in love with the people and especially the women. And, um, and, and God just used that difficult time in my life to plant a seed, a heart for Cuba and that I wouldn't have had. Um, if I hadn't had the tragedy. And, and that's what I, I talked about in my podcast today. We slap Romans 8, 28 and everything. Oh, everything works together for good. Well, the death of my first husband was not good. Right. That, that wasn't a good thing. Right. But God somehow is going to get the glory and the brokenness. And one of the ways he has gotten glory is to put me into a new setting and change this trajectory that I thought was my path and put me on this path that deals with internet, women internationally. And, um, and I began to teach in the little church that my husband was pastoring in Illinois, and I, I began to uh, teach a series on women, uh, women in the lineage of Christ. And they enjoyed that series, and then we moved to Venice. And for the first time in my life, I was not the pastor's daughter or the pastor's wife, and I began to teach here. And, and one of the churches I was teaching in, I did that series on the women in Scripture, and 
a lady said, you've got to put that into a book. I said, oh, no, I'm certainly not a writer. And, and just with this prodding, they just prodded me and prodded me, and I finally put it into a book, Women of Grace. I took it into Cuba, and, and I taught it there, and they asked for that book in Spanish. And so I came home. I had it put into Spanish. And, 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 and God just took all the pieces in this very broken season of my life, and he just put them together in an extraordinary way. And Word of Joy as a not-for-profit emerged out of not this wonderful trajectory of bigger and better, but this place of complete brokenness. And dependence on God. And exactly. I, think, I think as we try to um, you know, plan our lives, I, know I'm, I like to have a plan. I like to have control. Mm. I mean, what your story reminds me is that God is in control and God has a plan and we can trust him even when life does not go the way mm. that we expected. And how do you think that maybe those teaching, that teaching that you did prior to the loss of your husband, how did that actually prepare you for that season that you never saw coming? Oh, it, it was laying a, it was just laying such a foundation of truth in my life. And I think that's the purpose of God's word in all of our lives. It's, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're on the stage teaching it. God's word needs to be poured into our hearts and our lives so that, so that when the difficult time comes, that the Holy Spirit has a well to draw from. Right. It, it's like we, we put God's word in our heart, not so that we're smarter. It's so that, you know, when the, when the rubber hits the road, the Holy Spirit has something to work with there. It's the it's the that word of God. And I was recording a podcast this morning, and the messages I was recording were messages I've taught all through the years that God has laid a foundation. And um, Joshua chapter three is that passage of scripture where they're about to walk across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and God says, "Follow me, because you have never been this way before." Wow. And that passage of scripture was the last passage of scripture I taught in Tennessee before Dana died. Wow. I taught it on a Wednesday night, and he died on a Monday night. And God reminded me, you remember that passage in Joshua? You've never been this way before. And I certainly hadn't been that way before. And he just reminded me, I'm leading. I'm leading. Right. Now you follow. And I think that's where God's work comes in. It, it, we fill our hearts and our minds with it. Isn't that what you asked me just a minute yes, ago? Yes, it okay, is. Good. Yeah. I thought maybe I missed the question there. Uh, we just fill our lives with God's word so that when when stuff happens, we the Holy Spirit can use it. And bring right, it back. that you've built that foundation, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's what was going on all those years. It wasn't that they were they were wasted years or they were frivolous years or you know, but God just uses uses everything in our life if we'll let Him to build a foundation for what he's going to do in the future. That's really cool. So at what point did you decide, okay, this ministry thing is a thing and I need to start a nonprofit? What led you to that decision? Well, it was it was almost an organization organizational thing. I had been I was teaching here in Venice. And those Bible studies were growing exponentially. I had written a book. I had it translated into Spanish, and writing, publishing, translating, buying books, distributing books costs a lot of money. I knew I couldn't do that on my own anymore. I was going into Cuba. Those trips are you know, they cost money. I, and I knew I couldn't do what God had called me to do by myself. And I like doing things by myself. <laughs> I, I am like, you know, let me do solo all I can do. And God kept saying, nope, nope, you got to have a team. You got to have a team. And I was like, look, I do not, my husband works in the not-for-profit world. He, he is a great fundraiser. He is great. He can work a room and he's so sincere about it. And he's so about getting people on board. And I am like, just let me sit in a corner. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to be this face of anything in 
God says, but you got to have a team. And I just began to tell those ladies in those Bible studies what I felt like needed to be done. And I knew I needed to get it organized. Well, your mom and dad, <laughs> um, who are the kings of starting, king and queen of starting not-for-profits, I, I called them and I said, hey, I, I need to organize what I'm already doing because I can't continue to do it by myself. I've got to have a team of people to help me. I need to organize it into a not-for-profit, a 501c3. And so your mom and dad put together this incredible notebook. And I said, come over for a, for a piece of pie and coffee and we'll talk about it. And so your dad named the notebook a slice of pie. Love it. And in that notebook, he put page by page by page of every step I had to take to organize it into a legitimate not-for-profit. And I've I just followed directions, and and so now four years later, Word of Joy is a 501c3. It, we've met our budget. We're a small operation. We don't have a big budget. We have met our budget every year. Those that team of ladies that I teach in Venice are the backbone. They're the main contributors to this ministry, and uh, it's just been amazing. I would have never done it this way. Never done it this way, and yet this is how God chose to do it. I think what's cool about your story is that you didn't have this idea and say, I want to start a nonprofit to do this. Mm -mm. You are already doing the work. And I think sometimes people get paralyzed into saying, I want to launch this big thing or I've got this big idea. Whereas I think we just have to step into obedience and do what God puts right in front of us and trust his timing. So it wasn't like you had this idea of, I want to start this ministry. No, it was, uh, I want to just kind of tie the bow on what I'm already doing and and kind of legitimize it and bring people into what I'm already doing. And that's really a walk of faith. That's not that I'm a great example of faith because I stumble so often, but I think that's the faith that God calls us all to. It's not to have a big, bright idea for God and then say, okay, now God bless it. It is just walking one day at a time in the work that God has already given you to do and the truth that God has already given you, and you walk in obedience to it, and then God gives you more. God gives you the next step. And I don't mean more in a bigger audience or more book. I don't, I don't mean more in that way. I just mean he just gives you the next step of obedience. So what has surprised you most as an executive director leading a nonprofit, what surprised you most about that journey? Hmm, I, I think um, it, the generosity of people has surprised me um, because, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a small organization. You know, I, I, I'm... With a great impact, though. With, well, and, and, I, and that's really, that really is the Lord's doing. And I think I, I am kind of a worrier, I like I like to see way too far out into the future. I I, I tend to worry about finances. I, te- I maybe I'm a control person. I don't know. I just like the answers. I'm not. I'm a timid. I'm not. I, I do not see myself as a mover and a shaker. See, but I do find comfort in that. That you're still willing to admit, even through like walking with Jesus for so long, oh, that you still. I, I mean, I know who I am <laughs> at this point, and and that and that God has just met every need, every financial need, every every physical need every emotional need he opens doors and I, I guess I just sometimes stand in amazement and 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 the Lord's going 
what? What do you think I was going to do? Right. You know, I don't know, God. I, I don't know. I just, I couldn't see it all. I couldn't see that far down the road. And, and, and I think that's, a, it's not that faith is a leap in the dark, but faith is a step into the light that he's given. And, and it is, is what Elizabeth Elliot oh, has always good. said, just do the next thing. Just do what's right in front of you. And I, I, I think I posted a quote of hers on Facebook that if I'm spending all my energy straining to see so far down the road, I will miss what I'm supposed to be doing right now wow so what is your right now like what does he have you doing next well i leave for cuba next week that's a right now that's exciting and then nicaragua though in november i i go to do a women's conference down there um I, I i you know i don't always know what's exactly next i know that next will be january and february we do our women's study here we're going to do a study called joy and surrender we're going to go through the book of philippians i know that for sure I don't exactly know what the next year looks like as far as a perfect scenario of this is my schedule and this is how it's all planned out. I just know that that God keeps saying, let me open the doors, let me open the doors. And I love, I would really, a personal goal of mine is to move into South America, not to move physically, <laughs> but, but, but to... Alan, to, did you know to, you're yeah, moving to Argentina? Like, yeah. <laughs> But to, to uh, have some ministry opportunities in South America and, um, and to, to, or even more in Central America. I, I just have a heart for um, the Latin culture. I just, I, I, I don't even speak Spanish. I speak enough Spanish to get in trouble. Did I ever tell you that my undergraduate degree is international studies with an emphasis in Latin America? No. I, I even took that. a class called Latin, uh, Women of Latin America when I was oh. at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. What have you told me? I forgot that. <laughs> I don't know that I've told you. It's one of those, you know, kind of surprising <laughs> facts about me. Yeah, but I, I'm the same way with Spanish. I only speak enough to get by. Yeah. But so is this something for you when you go into those countries? You talked about how you felt called to missions way back in seminary. So does mm -hmm. this feel full circle for you? Or is this like a God, I never thought I would end up doing this? Well, honestly, this call to missions was something I've sensed uh as a very young teenager, I was probably 12 years old, and I was, uh, that's not a teenager, preteen, <laughs> but um, I was reading a book about Lottie Moon, and I just was so intrigued, and then I read a book after her, uh, Life of Bill Wallace. Both of those were missionaries in China, and I just, as a kid, I just sensed that God wanted me in missions. Well, I had just read this book on Bill Wallace. He was a medical doctor. He'd gone to China. And I just loved the story of Bill Wallace. And, and so in a service that my dad was preaching, I, I, I went down in what we called the invitation at that time. I told my dad, I said, Dad, I, I think God is calling me to be a missionary doctor in China. And my dad just, he was so sweet and kind and he just encouraged me in that and then I realized once I got in high school I had absolutely no aptitude for math and science <laughs> there was no way I was going to be on the road to being a doctor of anything and uh, and yet that desire for missions never left and and I I went to seminary believing that I was single I was I thought I would study and and get my degree and my master's degree and and really head to China China was still on the radar and and that never happened and and so when I married Alan in 2006 is when that call that I had experienced as a 12 or 13 year old began to come to fruition and God opened the doors in Cuba 
And now Cuba is changing and our relationship with the United States, is real, uh, it, the relationship between the two countries is changing again. And, and so God's opening doors in other Latin American countries. I didn't choose those countries. I didn't choose Latin America. I, but God just put that in my heart and he used my husband Alan to plant that seed I think that's really cool to think because I think there are some people that maybe have a dream at some point in their life but maybe they go through a period of saying you know maybe I heard God wrong maybe that's not what's meant for my life hmm. but then what you've seen in your life is that how God then still weave that into your life story in so a different years way later, though. in a different way than you thought mm-hmm. yeah in a different timing than you mm-hmm. thought but those seeds that he plants in us I think they're there for a reason. They are there. Sometimes we water them prematurely. Yes. You know, and we want everything to come to fruition on our timetable. And God works on his own timetable. And he works on his own plan. And And in ways that we don't predict. Like, it all makes sense in the rearview mirror. But when we're looking forward, we're going, I just don't see how this is going to happen. And even, I'm 60 years old. I'll be 60 years old next month. Like now on the podcast, Yeah, I know. The whole world knows. (laughs) Don't look at though, do I, Callie? <laughs> Don't look at do I? Um, Not at all. Uh, but it, 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 I still ask, "What's next, God? What's next?" And He never tells me. <laughs> it's it's like the ever unfolding grace of God. You just you just live in it for today, and He unfolds today, and then He unfolds tomorrow. And it, it is really just a walk of obedience, one step at a time. And I think that's a lifelong process. It, it's it, you it, never it's, like arrive, never, right? Never arrive. Never arrive. So what, um, do you have like big picture dreams? As you were saying, five years from now, this is what I want work of joy to look like 10 years from now. Or is it just day by day for you? You know, I think you and I've talked about this. (laughs) There are some days I just would like to go work at (laughs) Chick-fil-A. There are. I know. I just want to refresh your beverage, please. Um, <laughs> My pleasure. So I don't have to care. I mean, because it is a weighty thing to teach God's Word. It is, to me, the highest privilege but highest responsibility God could require of me is to to accurately teach His Word. And and I, I take it so seriously that sometimes I, I, I think, you know, what would it be like to work a job that I I don't have to labor over? Like I labor over this. And yet that's not, in this season, God has called me to do what I do. And then I'm a grandmother. I have five grandchildren. And, you know, there would be nothing more joyful to me than to live close to one of my grandchildren and to pick them up from school or to bake cookies. I just love, I just would love to do that. But we have five children in five different states. We don't live close to any of our children. I don't know if that's a testimony to us or what. I don't have the opportunity in this point in my life. So to say in five years, what would you want to do? I I don't have this big trajectory anymore. I just say, Lord, I have no idea what five years looks like from now. I don't, I don't, I, I can lay the groundwork to prepare for what right. might come. Right. And, and some of those things are like staying better connected with people your age you know through podcasts through instagram through um you know facebook through the things that are just maybe not super comfortable for me but they're going to push me a little bit and and keep my website up to date i can lay the groundwork for those things but but it's god that has to just give that direction and 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 i just have to receive whatever it is he brings me you crack me up when we talk about this like different generation thing because oh well that day that day I sat in church with a friend of mine that I went to college with, and you came and sat down and looked at her, and you said, Hi, Mrs. Boatwright. I went, Huh? 
Miss, you called her Mrs. Boatwright. Why did you call her Mrs. Boatwright? This is my friend Donna. And you said, well, I went to school with her daughters. And all of a sudden, it made me realize, oh, my goodness, you are the age of my daughter. And because and, I just think of you as my peer and you're and, my and friend. And likewise. And so, anyway. That, that was always, that was such that a was funny one of those moment days. That is a funny, it is one of those moments in my, in my life that I go, oh my, that, that's not right. That's but just not right. I love that about our relationship though. And, you know, cause I sometimes refer to you as a mentor of mine, but then my friend Tori had this great term that she came up with called a friend tour. Oh. That you're my friend tour. There you go. So we're not, you're not just my mentor, you're my friend tour. <laughs> so we're friends first, but you also provide this mentoring, that's you know, a good of thing. me. I that's like a that. Good thing. I think that's a great thing. And, yeah. and you do, you have an ability to speak to women of all different generations. I go to your Bible studies and I love it. I see women in there who are in their 90s. I see teenagers in there. And mm-hmm. you have a way of unpacking God's word in a way that all of us can understand and where it's relevant no matter where we are. And I think that's an incredible gift that God has given you. And I'm so thankful for the ways that he has just brought your life along this path and even to what you're doing now. So you mentioned that you have a podcast that you've been recording, and I'm so proud of you for stepping into that medium. So for those of you listening, the Word of Joy podcast will launch in um, early November. So be watching for that. You can also find more um, about Word of Joy on their Facebook page. They also have a website, wordofjoy.com. Is that correct? Dot org. Oh, wordofjoy.org. And you can keep up with what Jennifer's doing. You can sign up for her e-news and um, find out when she's going to be traveling to all these places. Find out how God is using her um, across the world, really, which I think is just such a cool thing. So the podcast is called Doing Good Well. So I want to finish with this question. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who wants to do good and do it well? I would say walk with God daily. This this Christian life, this this walk with God is not some destination. It is just this consistent everyday relationship walk with God. And I would also say that you can't do that walk with God void of his word. I, I'm just a proponent. Of, I, I like books. I know there's e-books and phones and, and uh, electronic, and I have a Kindle. But there is just something about the pages of God's word where you open your own personal Bible, and you look at those pages, and you read God's word for yourself. You saturate it with your tears, with your thoughts, with your prayers, and, and that becomes so much a part of you that that is laying the foundation for whatever good God is giving you to do. God's word and his truth is foundational for it. And it is not something you just get on Sunday morning. It's not something you get in Bible study. It is something you get in your personal time with the Lord. And there is absolutely no substitute for it. That's great advice. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Jennifer. It's been fun. Yeah. Let's go to lunch. Sounds good to me. Thanks for listening to the Doing Good Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer as we learned more about her organization, Word of Joy. Please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, rate and review. That helps other people find the Doing Good Well podcast and helps us reach more listeners so we can inspire people to do good and do it well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi friends, this is Callie, and you're listening to the Doing Good Well podcast. 
As I record this, it is May 22nd, and it has been a wild few months, hasn't it? There have been so many things I've thought about coming out here and sharing with you, but honestly, it's just been a time where we have really dialed back from things as a family and uh, are starting to emerge a little bit, piece by piece, um, with all due caution. And part of that re-emerging means that I feel like I am ready to start speaking words into the universe again. Um, speaking and writing are such a huge part of who I am. And so I appreciate having this platform that I can do that um, since speaking engagements aren't really happening right now. But I know a lot of people have um, kids who are graduating either tonight, next week. Um, Maybe they're moving on from fifth grade or eighth grade. I mean, these are big moments. And, And of course, for our high school seniors, Definitely a big moment that no one anticipated would look like this at this time. And so I wanted to share some thoughts for all the graduates, for all those who are taking that next step. But I hope these words really resonate no matter where you are in life. I actually spoke these words at a commencement um, last year. It was an eighth grade promotion, and I was able to share these words. And as I looked back over them, I felt like they were even more relevant this year maybe than last year. So I hope that you will enjoy these words and maybe share them with someone that you love. Congratulations on achieving this milestone. You survived this school year. That is an accomplishment to be sure. It is an honor to be able to share a few words with all of you. I wanna take a few moments to encourage you to do three things as you move forward. One, look for the good. Two celebrate the good, and three, be the good. So first, I want you to look for the good. We live in a world that is constantly focused on the negative. You can just look at your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed, and you'll see that. Our culture tends to thrive on negativity and conflict. But if you look around, you'll begin to see that there is still so much good in the world. Have you ever noticed that if you start focusing on something, you'll begin to see it everywhere? Start looking for houses for sale. You'll be amazed at how many for sale signs are around that you never noticed before. Start looking for people who are wearing the color blue. Your eye will be drawn to it, and you'll see just how many people wear that color every day. It's the same way with looking for the good. If you look for it, you will find it. While the default of our culture tends to be to look for the negative, I encourage you to be countercultural and look for the good. It's there if we will have the eyes to see it. So what do we do when we see the good? First, soak it in. But second, celebrate it out loud. I love this quote. Be an encourager. The world already has enough critics. It's true, isn't it? It is easy to criticize, critique, or correct. But what if we decided to be encouragers instead? My sister and I are very close in age, but we are very different people. And when we were little, we did not yet know how to appreciate our differences. We squabbled. We fought. And of course, it drove our parents crazy. I know that doesn't sound familiar to any of you, does it? My sister and I shared a bedroom. When we got in a fight, our mom would sit us down on our twin beds and make us sit knee to knee. We had to take turns saying something nice about the other person. 
it usually started something like this. She has a really nice sister. Of course, complimenting ourselves in the process. Next would usually be, she has a really cool room. Because of course, we shared a room. But as time went by, the compliments became more genuine. If we tried, we were able to see the good in the other person and speak to it. My mom was trying to teach us to focus on the good in people, even with those whom we disagree. Speak to the good. Be an encourager. I want you to think right now about a time when someone encouraged you. How did that make you feel? Maybe it was a note. Maybe it was a comment. Maybe it was a hug. People won't always remember what you said, but people will always remember how you made them feel. I recently went through a bit of a funk and woke up one day feeling particularly sorry for myself. I knew that simply feeling sorry for myself wouldn't solve anything. So I made a commitment that day. I would compliment every single person I crossed paths with that day. It didn't matter if I'd known them for years or if I'd never seen them before. Every person who crossed my path would get a compliment from me. It felt awkward at first, complimenting a complete stranger. But with each, that's a great purse, or I love your haircut, or whatever it might have been, it got easier. And their reactions made me start to look for more people to compliment. People were surprised that someone would notice something about them and speak to it. Heads that were hung low looked up. Smiles crossed sullen faces. And you know what else happened? As I focused on other people, I stopped feeling sorry for myself. My focus turned to them rather than me. Not only did their day get a little bit brighter, mine did too. I want us to practice this today. This is your participation moment in this address. When I conclude, I'm going to ask you to find someone either nearby or someone you can send a message to and give them a compliment. Maybe it's someone you know well, a member of your family. Maybe it's someone that you've never met. It doesn't matter. You can find something kind to say to them, some compliment to give. Be genuine. It doesn't have to be something earth-shattering. But I want you to say something encouraging to someone today. And then I want you to ask yourself, how did that feel? Good? Uncomfortable? I promise it gets easier, both to give and receive compliments. Keep practicing. The world will be a better place if you do. Look for the good and celebrate the good. Speak to it. Be an encourager. And that brings us to my last piece of advice. Be the good. The world won't be changed by people in positions of power or fame. The world will become a better place by each individual doing something to make their world a better place. You don't have to go out and change the world. Focus on changing the world right around you. Don't think you have to wait to find your purpose or achieve some big dream. Start today. Make a difference in the lives of people right around you. Look for small ways to be the good, to be the change you wish to see in the world. Don't strive to be the next YouTube star or to be a millionaire by the age of 30. Be a good human being. Be kind. 
Make the world around you a little bit better by your presence. Look for the good, celebrate the good, and be the good. Congratulations.